Let's take the Word of God uh, at this time and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. In Exodus chapter 3, we've been looking at uh, the conversation between uh, the Lord and Moses. Uh, the conversation is happening, happening uh, when the Lord uh, manifests Himself in a burning bush. And this is often referred to as the burning bush experience. And the Lord begins to tell Moses all that He's going to do at the beginning of Exodus chapter 3. I have seen, I have heard, and I am come down to deliver them. And so he tells Moses all that he's going to do. And Moses probably thinks at this point it's, it's wonderful. And then the Lord says, now I'm going to send you. And you're going to do it. And so then that would prompt Moses to ask questions. He's going to ask two questions in chapter 3. The first one, if you remember, is who am I that I should go? And so we could say that that is a question of merit. Send somebody else. I just don't, you know, anybody else but me. Who am I that I should go? The second question after the Lord uh, tells Moses that he will be with him, then Moses asks a question to follow up on that, and he says, uh, well, what am I going to say to those that I speak? What am I going to tell them? And, and so then the Lord says, well, you're going to tell them you're the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You're the I am. I am the I am. You're going to tell them, I am hath sent me unto you. And so in chapter 3, Moses asked two questions. And then God gives Moses an answer to those questions. And it's interesting that the first question, who am I? God doesn't answer that question. He just says, let me remind you who I am. That's helpful, isn't it? Because we are nobody. But it's not about us. It's about the Lord. The second question, one of authority, what is the authority that I'm going to tell the people who sent me? And he says, the covenant Lord, the I am, uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And you remember, the prophecy of their bondage in a strange land was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. So, they would be reminded of that. And so, Exodus chapter 3, Moses asks, asks the question. The Lord answers those questions by pointing Moses to himself. And in chapter 4, the narrative changes. In chapter 4, Moses makes some statements. And God's going to respond to those statements with questions himself. So in chapter 3, Moses is asking the questions. But in chapter 4, the Lord is asking the questions of Moses. And if you notice with me, we looked at the first question in chapter 4 when Moses basically tells him, they will not believe. They're not going to listen. And the Lord basically shows, reminds, asks Moses, the question to Moses is, what is in thine hand? And the rod was in his hand. And so God then showed him signs that he would show the people of Israel that indeed he was called of God and it would convince them and they would believe in Moses. By the way, the Lord had said to Moses that in chapter 3 that they would hearken. And so this is a statement we could say of, of unbelief, of doubting in God. And so then God is going to uh, answer uh, or ask Moses a question. And then now we come to verse 10. And so now we have Moses' second argument or statement and God's going to Respond to Moses' statement with a question again. Notice in verse 10. And now before I go there, I think how the Lord deals with us is a good learning lesson for us. That the best way for us to often deal with people, I think even in, in child rearing, is not necessarily often just to tell children what to do, but when they make statements that are misguided is to respond by asking them a question. Because it prompts them to think. And here Moses, instead of just making the statement, trying to trip up God, God asks him a question to make him think. And so notice verse 10, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore. Now just the fact that he uses that word, some people say, well, he seems to be pretty eloquent. Here, I've never heard of that word heretofore. Nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of 
a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, and here's the question from the Lord, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb? Or deaf? Or the seeing or the blind? Now, children, the dumb, mean he, some, somebody here who cannot speak. Deaf is somebody who cannot hear. Obviously, the one who can see is the one who has sight, and the blind is the one who does not have sight. Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Let me pause here at this time. I'm thinking about those questions. Who made the deaf? The Lord did. You know, I'm encouraged by the Dundons. I tuned in this afternoon. They had their live stream. So I, I tuned in and it was quiet. There's a, I saw some deaf people there and responding to, to him, Brother Dundon, as he was signing. And, you know, I, I, was, um, I, I asked uh, Brother Dundon a question some time ago. And I asked him, I said, uh, I said, do people in the deaf community, are they bitter because they, you know, they can't communicate normally with, with, with people? And so he says that that is true. You know, there's no doubt that there is a, a segment that uh, may be bitter and upset that they're not like most people. But it's encouraging to see someone who is deaf who just say, I'm going to serve God with what I have. And that's what God has done. There's a purpose in that. And someone can still serve the Lord even though this is their lot in life. And so the Lord tells Moses in verse 12, Now therefore go. It's interesting. <laughs> it's almost like he does not acknowledge Moses' statement. I'm not eloquent. He says, I made your mouth, so go. Right? That, that's what we see. I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou, what thou shalt say. And he said, now this is Moses, O my Lord, send I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. What he is basically saying here is, send somebody else. That's what he's saying. Verse 14, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. I want to bring your attention to the question the Lord asked Moses in verse 11. Who hath made man's mouth? As we look here at this uh, chapter, it becomes evident here that as we look at the questions in chapter 3, and now we come to the statements of Moses in chapter 4, I think we get to the bottom of it in chapter 4. Moses doesn't want to do it. At the end, he says, even when God says, look, I made your mouth and I'm going to be with you, Moses ends up saying, send somebody else. <laughs> and so I think that Moses here has been wrestling, and I think that we find that consistently throughout the Word of God, that there is no doubt a wrestling with the flesh, with the world, with the devil. But I do think that there is also wrestling going on with the Lord. Where the Lord wants us to do things and He wants us to serve Him and, and we're wrestling with Him as to whether we want to do it or not. And I think what we find in Moses, I don't think we should be critical of Moses because actually what we find in Moses is some uh, very uh, similar, uh, likely similarities in our own lives. We actually do the same thing. Um, if you remember here that when the first one was, Moses said, well, who am I? I'm not worthy. I, I shouldn't go send somebody else. We say, well, maybe that seems to be humility. The second question was, well, they're not going to believe me, which would be, you know, he had already been rejected 40 years previous, and so this would seem to be a valid question. And then in chapter 4, he, he basically says, look, I'm, I'm not eloquent. I don't think I, I, I'm the person to do this. And finally, he says, send somebody else. 
Send somebody else. Uh, God needs to use somebody else but not me. And so I want us to examine here this last excuse which comes down to the place where the Lord gets angry with Moses. And I think it's most interesting that even the Lord, as He gets angry with Moses, He still sends Moses. We talked about God is long-suffering, isn't He? He is merciful and He is gracious. And here we find that displayed in the last uh, uh, arguments here between uh, Moses here and, and the Lord. Or The Lord is not really arguing. Moses is arguing. The Lord's not. He's just responding. But as we look here at verse 10, there seems to be, I think, three components to the reply of Moses in verse 10. And I think that as we look at the argument of Moses, he says... Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And I know we spent a lot of time here in these last two chapters, but this just this is all happens at the same time. Right? Chapter 3 and chapter 4, it all happens. This, we haven't left the scene. We're still there at the burning bush. Uh, but I see here some uh, three components to the reply of Moses. First of all, I think that what we can find in those words, I am not eloquent. I think what we find first is that there is an excuse that would prevent Moses from serving the Lord. That, that's what we find here. I'm not eloquent. So that's, a, that's an excuse for not serving the Lord. But then I think what we also find there is a misunderstanding as to what God is looking for in a servant. I'm not eloquent. As if God was looking for eloquence. But I think what we also find, there's a third thing that we find, a third component to the argument of Moses, and that is there is a distrust in the Lord's selection for service. And I think when we hear those words by Moses, I am not eloquent, I think we find all three of those components. Let's deal with the first one as we think about those words, I am not eloquent. That's, we could say here, that's, Moses is giving an excuse. I cannot serve you in this manner because I don't have a gift to speak. Uh, I don't have the ability. In other words, Moses, he makes an excuse because he thinks that um, God should send somebody out that is more able or more fit to fulfill this work. Uh, you see, Moses tried to take himself out by finding an excuse that could take him out. And we know this because later in verse 13, as we just read, he says, he said, O oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And so ultimately, Moses get to the, gets to the place where he said, just send somebody else, just not me. And so we see here that that's an excuse. By the way, we often make excuses with ourselves, do we not? Whether we should serve the Lord or not. We all know, I think we all know God wants us to serve Him. Right? Do you believe that? We're to all to serve the Lord. Well, what gets in the way of us serving the Lord? We make excuses. Um, I don't have time. I'm too busy. Well, it's not really... We looked at... I talked about this morning in Sunday school, the gifts that God gives in the church. And we might think, well, that's not my gift. Now, Moses basically says this, right? We think about, for example, the gift of prophesying and then teaching that he lists there. And we might think of ourselves, well, uh, you know, I don't have the gift of teaching, so I just don't need to teach my children the Word of God. You see, we, we make excuses for doing the right thing, and we often, we, it might sound even reasonable to men to make excuses not to serve the Lord. So we see, first of all, the excuse, but then we also see the misunderstanding. I think what we find here when he says, I am not eloquent, Basically, Moses is basically saying, you should find someone that is eloquent that would be best suited for your work, Lord. Now, I think that that seems to me very prideful of Moses to say that to the Lord. But I think what Moses is saying here, I'm not eloquent, is find somebody else who is best suited for the work. Uh, and so I think here that Moses, and I think we are often in the same boat, Moses seems here to have a misunderstanding about what the Lord was looking for. 
Did anywhere in God's call to Moses, did God say, I'm not looking for somebody that's eloquent, and that's you, Moses. He didn't say that. And so Moses seems to misunderstand what God is looking for, and it is evident that the Lord was not looking for eloquence, obviously. Um, God was not looking for a man like Moses because of his eloquence. God was looking for a man like Moses who would say, basically, this is what God said. Uh, Notice in verse 12, he goes on to say later, he says, Now therefore go, I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Now if you go later, when they get to Egypt, this is how it goes. God says to Moses, say this to Pharaoh. Moses is going to say to Aaron, say this to Pharaoh, uh, or say this to Aaron, Moses is going to say it to Aaron, and then Aaron is going to say it to Pharaoh. And so think about the logic here. Moses says, I can't deliver the message, and yet he delivered it to Aaron. So if you can deliver to Aaron, why can't you deliver to to, to Pharaoh? Now we're going to see here, the point is as we see the story coming along, there seems to be a reversal. Aaron's at the beginning, I think the first three plagues. Aaron's at the center, he's the one with the rod, he's the one speaking to Pharaoh. By plague number four... Aaron is out of the picture in the sense that he doesn't have the rod anymore and he's not speaking to Pharaoh anymore, it's Moses. So we see here that uh, the Lord is not looking for eloquence. He was just looking for someone who said, hey, could you be my mouthpiece? Say this to Pharaoh. And Moses said, would have to say the exact words. So it would be like, if you would, if God spoke to Moses and Moses wrote it down, he could come to Pharaoh and just basically said, The Lord said, let my people go. If you don't let them go, there's going to be plagues. That's what the Lord said. That's all God was looking for. And Moses said, I'm not eloquent. I I can't do this. That is not what God was looking for. You know, God, and we'll see that in just a moment, hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. We know that to be true. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's look at, at uh, some of the New Testament. Well, let's look at, think about the Apostle Paul. Now, when the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church at Corinth, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, let's go down to verse 19. Uh, Paul writes and he says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. The wisdom of this world. Now remember, Moses had been learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And so when he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, uh, now it had been 40 years later, and so now he uh, is going to be sent over to Pharaoh, and he doesn't need the wisdom or the training of the Egyptians. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And so those who are wise in the world, those who say, I have the ability, I have been taught, I have been trained, God says, I can nullify all of that. If you go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Notice with me, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1. So Paul writes, and he he speaks of himself here, and he says this, Now, I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold toward you. So he says, when I was with you, I was base among you. Uh, Go to chapter 11. Notice verse 6. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. So Paul said he was rude in speech. Well, what does that mean, rude? Well, he was probably, according to his own words, he, was, he didn't capture the souls of the Corinthian people because of his eloquence. He captured the heart of the people because of the gospel, the power of God. And so we see here, even Paul says of himself, even 1 Corinthians 2, 1, Brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, 
declaring unto you the testimony of God. And so Paul, he, he, he did not um, uh, seem to be a man with great ability of speech, although we read his letters and we're quite amazed. But again, he did that under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. But when he was in presence, he was weak. It was not with excellency of speech. And so God was not looking for eloquence when he called Paul. He was looking for something else. A willing vessel. In Luke 16, 15, Jesus says, For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. So what is highly esteemed among men? Eloquence. That would be one. People, they'll flock, they'll oh, here's some eloquent man, and this is, this is wonderful. Uh, uh, and so there's, that's what the world is looking for. And so when, if you go back to Exodus chapter 4, it seems that Moses uh, misunderstood what God was looking for. When he said, I am not eloquent, he thought that God was looking for eloquence, but God was not looking for eloquence. He was looking for a servant who would simply say, this is what God says. So we see here that Moses' reply, we see the excuse, we see the misunderstanding, but we also see the distrust. When Moses says, I am not eloquent, he basically is saying this, God cannot use a man who is not eloquent. That's basically why he's saying, I'm not eloquent. And you want to use somebody, but it's evident, God, you can't use somebody that's not eloquent, so it's not me. No, that's distrusting God. That God could take uh, Moses where he is and that God can use him with the ability that he has. You see, often we might think of ourselves as unworthy or unable. Can I say to you, you're the perfect candidate? If you see yourself as unable, you're, the good can you're a good candidate for serving the Lord. I think the... The ones that God had the most trouble with were the, were the ones who thought, thought themselves to be self-sufficient. You know, we think of Apollos. No doubt he, he was eloquent speaker, but yet he was ignorant about certain things. But he was humble enough to take instruction, even in his eloquence. That's quite amazing. So note that he had the ability of eloquence, but he needed to be taught and instructed. And here Moses, we see here that when he speaks to the Lord, he says, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Uh, let me uh, turn, uh, turn with me to, in the New Testament to two references there. Colossians, 1 Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Colossians 2. You know, we have to beware of eloquence. When, when Moses says, what you need is an eloquent man, there's actually warning, warnings in the Bible about eloquence, about being deceived by those who sound really, man, that person must be right. They, they sound so right. The Bible says in Colossians 2.4, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with what? Enticing words. Sounds really good. Enticing words. In, uh, go to, with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, verse 18. Well, he says, verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are, uh, are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Good words and fair speeches, it sounds wonderful. And God says, just because it sounds wonderful does not make it right. So back in Exodus when Moses says, I am not eloquent, here's the components of his argument with God. There's an excuse that would prevent Moses from serving the Lord. I can't do it. Here's an excuse so I don't have to do it. The second component is there's the misunderstanding of what the Lord is looking for in a servant. He is not looking for eloquence. He's really looking for submission. 
And the third component is that there is a distrust in the Lord in selection for service. Now we know that Moses already has some form of unbelief because remember in chapter 3, God says, they're going to hearken to you. And we get to chapter 4 and he said, they will not believe. Well, wait, God just said they will believe you. And Moses says, no, they're not. So there's already a measure of unbelief. So this idea here of not eloquent is, uh, we see all those components contained in that. So the Lord is going to uh, answer Moses, not with a direct reply, but rather with a question to make Moses think. In verse 11, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Now, Moses doesn't answer the question because he knows the answer to the question. God did. Or who maketh the dumb? Or deaf? Or the seeing? Or the blind? And here's the, the question. Have I not the Lord? Have I not have not I the Lord? And so the answer is yes, the Lord has done that. And so then the Lord tells Moses in verse 12, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And so here, Moses makes himself quite clear as to saying what he's been trying to say the whole time. Lord, send anyone but me. Anyone but me. Not me. After this, uh, and by the way, I do think that God speaks to us and He tries to lead us and direct us to do things for Him and to serve Him in, in some capacity. That I hope that our heart is not like the heart of Moses when we say, well, you know, I just used somebody else, Lord. No, the truth is God wants to use you. In all your imperfections and your inabilities, He still wants to use you because that's the kind of God He is. Just think about the apostles in the first century. Now, we, I know we have Luke the doctor, but we think about uh, Peter. He was a fisherman. You remember when, when they were preaching and they were uh, preaching Jesus Christ? The accusation against them is that, that they were unlearned and ignorant. Uh, Peter evidently, by his very speech, sounded like a Galilean. He probably spoke... Uh, in a simpler way than the people in Jerusalem and Judea. And so people recognize his, either his accent or his manner of speech, and they, they deem them as unlearned and ignorant men. But the truth is, that's what God wants to use. He wants to take a fisherman who was fishing for fish, and He wants him to fish for men. Uh, we say, well, does it take any particular skill or ability to fish? Well, you have to have some knowledge but what about speaking to people? And Peter did that. He, he preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls received the Lord. But I wonder how often God is looking for someone and then He can't find anybody. You know, one of the saddest wor uh, verses, I think, in the Bible, and that's just my opinion, is Ezekiel chapter 22. If you turn with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22, he, he, he talks about the sin of... Israel, particularly Jerusalem. Jerusalem is pointed out in Ezekiel chapter 22. But if you notice by the end of the chapter, Ezekiel 22, notice verse 29, Ezekiel 22 verse 29, And the, the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and had vexed the poor and needy, yea? They have oppressed the stranger wrongfully, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God says, I was looking for somebody to answer the call, but I didn't find anybody. I don't, I don't think that God was kind of standing back and, and not moving in the lives of people. I think that in some measure God was looking. He's searching true for He's looking for those who would serve Him and those who would be true to Him. And He says, and I find nobody. Nobody wanted to respond to my call. How sad to think that God is looking for men and found none to stand in the gap. 
In verse 31, he says of Ezekiel 22, Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Sad verse in the Bible. I believe God is actively working in their churches and saying, Hey, would you serve me? Would you do this? Serve me in this way? Serve me in this capacity? No, 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 not me. I'll, I'll just come to church. Just let me just sit and go and just don't, Lord, don't, please don't call me. Don't tell me to do anything. Let me just punch a religious time card and just let me be. And so Moses gets to the place where he says, Look, send somebody else, Lord. Now the Lord's going to get angry at that. And I, I think we understand why the Lord is angry. He has been already gracious. He's been answering Moses' question. He's been giving Moses all that Moses needs to know to carry out the work of God. Is the, the anger of the Lord not justified here? It is. Remember chapter 3, Moses said, Who am I? God says, it doesn't matter who, I, who you are, I'm going to be with you. It's about me. Well, they're not, uh, Lord, what am I going to say to them? You're going to say, I am hath sent me, the God of Abraham, Isaac, uh, Isaac and Jacob, the covenant God. He has seen, he has heard, he's going to deliver. You tell them, I'm the one who sent you. And then Moses finally says, well, uh, they're not going to believe. I just told you they're going to believe. They're, no, they're, they're not going to believe. All right, let me give you some signs. Just put the rod down. There's a snake. Grab it by the tail. It's back to a rod. Hand. Leprosy. When you get there, I'll turn the water into blood. I'll do those signs so that the people believe you. And so, I'm telling you, they're going to hearken to you. If they don't hearken, show them the signs. And Moses, did he not see that before his eyes? Did he not see the rod turn to the serpent? Did he not see his own hand uh, become white with leprosy? He did. He saw all those things. And then finally he says, well, I'm not eloquent. And God says, no, Moses, I, I made your mouth. I I'm going to be with your mouth. Uh, he, he had told him already that he would be with him in chapter 3. Now he says, I'll be with your mouth. I I'll tell you what to say. And finally Moses says, send somebody else. God says, I've given you everything you need to know. The authority that sent you is me. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to accompany you with signs. And finally Moses says, well, I can't really speak well. <laughs> so the Lord is, is angry. Notice verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The word anger here is a descriptive word that means the nose or the nostrils. It is basically used to communicate a rapid breathing of a person as seen by the agitation in one's face. Have you ever seen somebody agitated? Yeah, most of you have. You're all nodding their head. And they're breathing at the, through the nose. Sometimes uh, my wife will say, Why are you breathing heavy? Is something wrong? I says, No, I'm just out of breath. I just went up the steps. <laughs> but, right, there's, there's something about it. It stirs you up. So the, that's what the word means. So it's a descriptive word that is used here. Now, we know God is a spirit. But the point is, the Bible is trying to communicate how, how God is responding to what Moses is saying. And the Bible says, the word kindled here, his anger was kindled. The word kindled means to glow, to blaze up, to anger, to earnestly grieve. We could say here that uh, as the Lord is going back and forth with Moses, it's like Moses put fuel on the fire. And so the Lord is angry with Moses. And he said, now... This is how God is. God is angry. And yet he's going to give an option to Moses. Do you see that? Immediately after he's angry. This is the God that has the power to just even think and Moses would be gone. I'll use somebody else. That's not what God does though. He is angry. You know, the Bible says, In wrath, Lord, remember mercy. Th that, that is not for God to be reminded of that. God already knows that. But it's for us to be reminded of that. That's why the prophet said it. Lord, in wrath, remember mercy for my sake. I need to remember that. That you are a gracious and merciful God. And here God's mercy is displayed. 
he's angry with Moses. Moses knows he's angry. And then he, then he says this to Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? The answer is yes. I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he, verse 16, shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. So the Lord is angry, but then he gives uh, uh, Moses, he says, look, I'm going to send Aaron, your brother, to, uh, to, to, and he's going to be your mouthpiece. It, it is interesting here, as we think about the narrative as we go on, when they finally get to Egypt, uh, at the end of this chapter, Aaron is going to go out and meet Moses, and they're going to uh, speak, and Aaron is going to be glad. But it is interesting to observe that there is a shift in the midst of the plagues, at the onset of the plagues, it was God communicating to Moses, and then Moses communicating to Aaron. And after the third plague, it was God speaking to Moses, and Moses going to Pharaoh. Uh, turn with me to, uh, let me show you. This is interesting that it happens. In other words, I think that God, he, yes, gave Aaron to Moses to help Moses along, and then until Moses had, if you would, the confidence to do it himself. He brought Aaron along for a little while. Aaron would be the one for at least the first three plagues. He would be the one holding the rod. He, he would be the one holding his hand, not Moses. He would be the one speaking to Pharaoh. But after plague four, it's Moses. And notice with me Exodus chapter 5. We read in verse 1, Afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go. Uh, notice in verse 4, and the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their work get you unto your burdens? Uh, so here we have both Moses and Aaron. Uh, we go over to chapter 7. Notice chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh. So notice here, Moses, here's what I want you to tell, tell uh, Aaron, and Aaron is going to tell Pharaoh. So you tell him what I tell you. And so, if you would, Moses stands as the in-between, between Aaron and the Lord. So we see both Aaron and Moses. We go to chapter 7, verse 10. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded, and Aaron cast down his rod. Now, often maybe the, the movies may portray as Moses is the one who's casting down the rod. Not so. It was Aaron. Not Moses. You see, Moses is still kind of, he's in the background. Aaron, up to this point, he's the one doing the talking. He's the one holding the rod. He's the one doing the signs. And Moses is kind of standing there. Strange way to think of Moses, isn't it? At least the Moses we think. And then we see um, plague number one in chapter seven. Notice verse 19. This is the first plague. The first plague is the water turned to blood. Notice, and the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt. Notice verse 20. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod. Now, who's the he? That's Aaron. Remember? Tell Aaron to lift up his rod. He, that is Aaron. Aaron's lift up his rod. He smote the waters and the river became blood. So, so Aaron is the one and Moses is back there and basically the mouthpiece, God's mouthpiece. He, he would be instead of God to Aaron and uh, Aaron would be uh, instead of Moses to Pharaoh. Notice uh, plague number two. Uh, you have the frogs and um, so, I mean, sorry, chapter eight. Plague number two, the frogs. Notice in Exodus chapter 8, verse 5, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams. Notice verse 6, And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs be, uh, came up and covered the land of Egypt. And I believe this is literal. You know, I don't think it's figurative language. I believe the frogs covered the land of Egypt. And so here... It was Aaron again who stretched forth his hand 
we um, go over to plague number 3 in verse 16 of chapter 8. That's the lice. Verse 16, And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod. So again, Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod. Okay, so, apparently, something happened with the lice that woke Moses up. Because from this point on, Aaron is no longer used or else not mentioned as the one stretching forth his hand with the rod. There is a change from really Aaron to Moses. Notice the fourth plague in verse 20 of chapter 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning. Well, look, there's no Aaron there, as we've seen, Moses and Aaron. There's no Aaron in the picture. And stand before Pharaoh, lo, he cometh forth to the water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now, the plague happens a little later. Um, Notice... After the plague happens, in verse 25, Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye sacrifice to your God in the land. And so, here, here we find that now Moses was told of God to rise up early. Not Moses and Aaron. Moses and Moses rose up early and told Pharaoh to let the people go. And so God, uh, he would not let the people go. So God smote Egypt with flies. Then we have um, plague number five. Notice chapter nine. Verse one. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord. Notice, not Moses and Aaron. Moses. Now remember the first three plagues says Moses and Aaron. Now it's Moses alone. So in Exodus nine, it was God who told Moses what he would do on the morrow, notice verse 6, And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died, but of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. So in this case, he just said, look, go unto Pharaoh, tell him, if he doesn't let the people go, then I'm going to do this tomorrow. He went there, Pharaoh didn't listen. Tomorrow, God killed the livestock. Plague number 6, verse 8 of chapter 9. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, so here we have both Moses and Aaron, take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall, and it shall become a small dust in all the land of Egypt and shall be a boil breaking forth with blames upon men and upon beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. And notice, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. So here, in this case, Moses is the one who is throwing the ashes up in the air and then boils come down upon man. Not Aaron, Moses. Notice a plague number 7 in verse 13 of the same chapter. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Notice if we go down to verse 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hell in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast, and upon every herb of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven. Moses did. He is the one that stretched forth his rod towards heaven. Same thing in chapter 10. Notice plague number 8, the locust. And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 1, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. And so we see then in, down in verse 13, verse 12 and 13 of chapter 10, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locust. Notice verse 13, And Moses stretched forth his rod. Same thing with the darkness in verse 21, verse 22, and Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and then there was darkness. And then we know the last plague, there was no stretching forth a hand. Uh, God told Moses and Aaron to get the people ready for the Passover, and they did so 
And then when the death angel came by, God, the Bible says, God killed all the firstborn. So in that case, Moses did not have to stretch his rod. But do you see here the point that I made that it seems that at the beginning, when the Lord told uh, Moses that Aaron is going to meet you and he's going to be your mouthpiece, that uh, Aaron was the mouthpiece for Moses at, in some measure at the beginning, but at some point God says, all right, now you're going to do it. You see, God had called him to be the mouthpiece in the first place. And so then God, because of the, the, distrust, of, the distrust of Moses, he would help him out for a little while. Until he would see what God would do. I really think about this. The words of the Lord were enough for Moses. In Exodus chapter 4, the words of the Lord were enough for Moses after the Lord said that Aaron would be with him. Did, did, not, did not Moses go? to his father-in-law after this, and then meet Aaron? He did that. When God said to Moses, Aaron's going to be with you, that was good enough for Moses. Isn't it strange, a strange thing to observe that Moses was assured when he heard that Aaron would be with him, but yet Moses could not find comfort or assurance when God said he would be with him? Well, it's not necessarily that strange how resembling of ourselves. We have the promises of God and, 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 and sometimes we, we, we get discouraged and sometimes God does bring someone along the way to help us and to encourage us until we can continue and we see now, yes, the promises of God are, are true and God is faithful. How gracious of the Lord to... To really, in a sense, give a reference point to Moses in a man when Moses could not trust God himself. But eventually, what happened to Moses? Eventually, Moses got to the place where he was able to do what God wanted him to do. Eventually, Moses got to the place where it was not Aaron stretching his hand, his hand with the rod. It was Moses stretching his hand with the rod. It was Moses speaking to Pharaoh, not through Aaron, but Moses directly speaking to Pharaoh. And so, this is just like God bringing us along the way in all of our weakness and unbelief, and He brings us along. And then when we see Him work in our unbelief, then we begin to trust Him more. That's how God does it. That's what He did with Moses. Now Moses, I think in my estimation, probably many people, Bible students will look at the Old Testament and say, Moses is probably the greatest leader in the Old Testament time. But it didn't really begin that way. It didn't begin that way. He had tried when he was 40 years of age to do it in his own strength. But then as an 80-year-old man, uh, we see that you know there was uh, uh, some mistrust in God, some uh, distrust in his own ability and he really seems to be kind of backward at first, but then by seeing what God did, then he began to trust God more. So, we read here back in Exodus chapter 4, verse 17. So after he says that Aaron would be his spokesperson in verse 16... Uh, well, no, go back to verse 15. He says, And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth, and I will put, and I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. Now, notice here, did you see what the Lord says? It says, Moses, I'll be with your mouth to tell Moses, or uh, to tell Aaron what to tell Pharaoh, and I will be with Aaron's mouth to tell Pharaoh what I told you. You see, eventually Moses learned that the God who would help the mouth of Aaron would be the God who would help his own mouth. He would learn to trust, look, Aaron, this is what God says. And Aaron then would relay, relay that to Pharaoh. The point is, it was the same message. God was not looking for eloquence. He was looking for a deliverer, someone just to deliver the words of the Lord, not eloquence. 
So verse 16, And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. Verse 17, And thou shalt take thy rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. And Moses went. So we'll look at that. But I want to reflect here for just a moment on what we've just seen in chapter 3 and chapter 4. I think we learn with regards to God's calling for this task in the life of Moses. What was the basis of Moses' call? What kind of man was God looking for? What was God looking for? Well, first of all, I believe that God was looking for a man who was not relying on natural ability or human training. God was not looking for a man who was relying on natural ability or human training. Did we, do we not learn this with Paul and Peter and those in the New Testament? God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The foolishness of preaching to the world, it seems like madness, but to us who know the Lord, it's the power of God. We know it's not foolishness. And so when it comes to the work of God, we might say, well, look, I don't have the ability to do that, or I don't have the human training to do that, and God's showing Moses, I don't need ability or training. What you need, Moses, is me. You see, what we need is the Lord. Above natural ability, above human training, we need the Lord. You know, it does not, uh, it is not a superior intellect that we need to serve the Lord. It takes a spiritual work to serve the Lord. Let me say that. It does not take supernatural intellect to serve the Lord. It takes a spiritual work. You see, I really believe that God would rather use somebody who is simply submitted to say, God, whatever you want, I'll do. Than someone who says, well, I can do pretty much anything for the Lord, so let's just pick whatever I want to. Because I just, I'm so talented and I have so much abilities and I've been trained in this and that and this and that. So the Lord here is not looking for a man relying on natural ability or human training. We know that from these two chapters. But secondly, what we learn is that God is looking for a man who has a full revelation of God's personal character. Do you notice what God, how God speaks to Moses? From the onset, He tells Moses, I am God, and then He, he tells Moses, He begins by saying, Before I'm going to speak to you, Moses, take off your shoes. Why? Because the place where you're standing is holy ground. You see, what, Mo, what, what God wants Moses to realize is that he's going to serve a God who is holy. And so, someone who's going to serve God has to have a, a full revelation of God's personal character. Then God goes on to say, look, I, I'm the God who has seen. I have heard. I know their sorrow. And I am come to deliver. What is all that? God is omniscient. He is almighty. Uh, he is omnipresent. He knows what every one of His people was going through. He has the power to deliver them. And so God reveals Himself to Moses and His character. He goes on in the chapter and He introduces uh, Moses to Himself. He says, tell them, I am sent me, sent you. He is the self-sufficient. God is not dependent on anyone for His existence. We are dependent on Him and often many other things and circumstances, but God is not dependent on anyone. He is the I Am, the self-existent One. He never had a beginning. He will never have an end. He is the eternal God, and He reminds Moses of that. He even reminds Moses the fact that He is a covenant God. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And God has come to deliver them as He prophesied or as he told Abraham in Genesis chapter 3 that his descendants would be strangers in the strange land for 400 years and then they would be delivered by a mighty hand. And so if we're going to serve God more effectively we have to have a full revelation of God's personal character. Say, I want to serve God. Can I help you if you want to serve God? Look to God. 
Don't concentrate on the service as much as you're concentrating on God. Because He will be your sufficiency. Him. Not the service. Him. That's what the Lord does. So God is once a man who is not relying on natural ability or human training. He is looking for a man who has a full revelation of God's personal character. And lastly, God is looking for a man who would learn to rest on God's promises for success. Throughout chapter 3 and chapter 4, God gives repeated promises to Moses. One of the promises would be, I will deliver. That's a promise. Moses, I will be with thee. That's a promise. Uh, he would even go into further detail into chapter 4 by saying that I, I'm going to give you signs so that the people will believe you. And he shows them those signs before, before Moses, before his very eyes, so that he would know. You know, it could be even, it could be reasonable to think that the reason why Moses gave the rod to Aaron is because, can you imagine the faith it would take for a man to stretch out the rod and to say, all right, the water is going to become blood. Think about it. How foolish would you look if you did that and nothing happened? He's a phony. Look at him. He's not God's ambassador. But after seeing Aaron do that and seeing God do work, it increased his faith. And he thought, all I need to do is just do what God says and God does it. Yes. Yes. And so then, we even see that God would tell him, I will be with thy mouth. Thy mouth. He even gives the last promise to Moses in verse 17. He says, Wherewith thou shalt do signs. That's another promise. You see, God is looking for a man who would rest in God's promises for success. You remember early on, when God spoke to Moses, He said, Now, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is not going to listen. But then I'm going to do mighty things, and I'm going to deliver the people. Well, how long, Lord? Well, it doesn't matter. You just do what I... You know, there's no, at no point did God say ten. Ten plagues, Moses. It'll be ten, and then he'll... No, look, his heart will be hardened. It's going to happen, Moses. And so Moses has to go along. He has to trust the Lord. I think it's interesting to note that Moses, his faith, when he began to trust the Lord, was after plague three. So there is a sense that he had increased confidence in God, but also he didn't know when it was going to end. He would have to rise up early in the morning, go to Pharaoh, say, let the people go. Plague. Pharaoh didn't let the people go. Moses, rise up the next day. Rise up the next day early in the morning, go to Pharaoh, let the people go. No. Next day, Moses. And so Moses, at some measure, had to think of himself, well, how long? How long? How many plagues? It's not for us to know. Now, in the last one, God says... This is it. But the point is, as Moses goes along, he's able to rest on the promises of God. You see, how can Moses continue to go in uncertainty? Because that's the question. There's many things that Moses was uncertain about, but there were some things that he was certain about. What was he certain about? That God would deliver them and that God would be with him. That's what he was certain about. So as Christians, what we need to do, if we're going to serve God, we have to concentrate on that which we know. Not that which we do not know. Well, how long am I going to serve God? How, how long am I going to have to go through this? God will help you and He will be with you. You see, I think we all know that whenever we focus on the things we do not know, we are troubled. 
But whenever we focus on things that we do know, we are able to rest in God's promises for success. So those three things here that we learn as observation, that God is looking for someone who's not relying on natural ability or human training. He is looking for a man who has a full revelation of God's personal character. And he's looking for a man who would learn to rest in God's promises for success. So in the end, it's not about Moses. It's about the Lord. It's about the Lord. They're going to leave Egypt. They're going to set up a memorial after the parting of the sea. And the memorial is going to be a, a, a representation of what God has done for the next generations. They're going to be soon to forget that. But the point is, that's what God did. It's not what Moses did. It's what God did. And so we need to be able to, if we're going to serve God, understand what it means at the end of the line. At the end of the line, it doesn't mean, ah. At the end of the line, it means, God, I'm just amazed at what you've done. Praise the Lord. Let's pray, Father.